What is up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Rewired Soul podcast. It's your host, Chris, and my guest today. I am so, so, so excited. It is Monica Guzman. All right. So she works with Braver Angels, which I'll explain in a minute, but we also talk about it in depth in this episode. But she has an upcoming book that I binged the second I got a review copy. So her book is called, I Never Thought of It That Way. All right. So I was first introduced to Monica when she was on the New Liberals podcast. And if you haven't checked that out, go check it out. It's a great podcast. He's a great dude. And Monica was on there and she was talking about curiosity, right? And I was like, I am sold. And I saw that she had a book coming out. I messaged Monica. I'm like, yo, when you get review copies, let me, let me check it out. Because curiosity is so important in this age of polarization. And Braver Angels, their entire organization, is dedicated to bringing people from opposing sides, bringing them together to have conversations. And Monica's story is interesting, it's powerful, and she is just such an amazing woman, and she is such a huge advocate for curiosity. I'm like, I gotta have you on, I gotta talk with you, I gotta chat about this book. And she is such a, a, a great person to talk to, like I don't even know how to put it into words. Like she inspires me just talking with her in this conversation. We chat about, you know, this age of polarization, why people are so polarized, why people are so angry. How do we have conversations with people that we just disagree with so, so, so much? And, you know, I, I, I like to fancy myself, you know, as somebody who brings people from all over the political spectrum on the podcast, to chat about their books, even if I disagree with some of their ideas. I like to think that, you know, I do a pretty good job talking with them, but, but at the same time, I, I know that, you know, I could be doing better. And I try to remember that being curious is the opposite of judgment. So I love reading books like Monica's to get more insight, more advice, more tips, more tools to figure out how do we have these difficult conversations. So I'm so, so grateful that Monica came on the podcast to chat about this book. And I'm telling you, I'm telling you all, I personally think, and I'm not, I'm not just saying this, I think this is one of the most important books written in recent years. It is such an important book. So mark your calendars. The book is not coming out until early 2022 in the first quarter. So I'll actually be uh, bumping this podcast episode up again closer to the release date. But I was like, Monica, you got to come on now because I have to talk with you about your, your book. So I hope you enjoy this conversation. So make sure you head down to the description, follow Monica over on Twitter, follow Braver Angels and the work that they're doing. Because one of the things that I, I ask her about is like, how do we even get people interested in sitting down to have these conversations, right? And, you know, uh, in her line of work, she's actually a lot more optimistic and it actually gives me a little bit of hope. So make sure you follow her and follow Braver Angels, see the work that they're doing, know that we can bring people together and it starts with all of us. But most importantly, there's a link to her book. I never thought of it that way, which is coming out. You can pre-order it now. So I hope you enjoy this conversation. And before we get started, a few quick things, a few quick little things. Make sure you're following me over on Instagram and Twitter at The Rewired Soul. I love chatting with all of you. You guys are great. You have great feedback on episodes great book recommendations, and just great insight on things that I, I, you know, like discussing with other people. And also, 
in case you didn't know, uh, this episode is actually up early, much like the last episode that I did with David Robert Grimes. If you are a paid subscriber over at the Rewired Soul Substack, that's linked down in the description. It's the low, low price of $5 a month or $50 for a year. You get access to all the episodes early. So it really helps support the podcast and what I'm doing. And you get some early access to each and every episode. All right. But anyways, without further ado, here's my conversation with Monica Guzman about her fantastic book, I Never Thought of It That Way. All right. Hello, Monica. Thanks so much for joining me. How are you doing today? I am doing so well. It's a beautiful morning. It's good to be here. Yeah. And where, where are you again? You're in the Northwest? Yep. I'm up in Seattle, Washington. So the gray, the gray lady of, <laughs> of, the, of the U.S. weather system, I suppose. And uh, appropriately, she is quite, quite gray in the sky uh, right now. Yeah, I, I I always say once my son is eighteen, like that's that's where I'm moving. I I've I've lived in the desert forever, and I I've only been to Seattle once, but I yeah. loved it. I loved it so much. Oh, I'm here for life. It's here. <laughs> but yeah, we we have you here to talk about your fantastic new book that's coming out in 2022, and I had the honor of reading it early. So before we jump into your book, I never thought of it that way. For those who have yet to meet the amazing Monica. Can you give a little bit of your background, what you do, what you're all about, or all that stuff? Yeah, so I am a journalist, an entrepreneur, a bridge builder, and I'm also the director of digital and storytelling at a nonprofit called Braver Angels, which is the largest cross-partisan grassroots organization working to depolarize America. So all about the political divide. Felt very called to that. Uh, and in the book, I talk about a little bit of that path. But I am completely moved to help people understand each other. And right now, the divides are enormous challenges to that and something that I'm just like, you know, called to try to tackle uh, in, in, in every way that I can. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I often tell people, too, like I, I was not into politics or anything. I was just like, whatever, my vote doesn't matter. Nothing matters. And then 2016, when everything got crazy, I was like, OK, I need to figure out what's going on, because, you know, when when Trump was elected, I was shocked. I was like, OK, clearly, I don't understand what's happening around the country. There was a lot of talk about that in two, 2016, like, you know, people, you know, in middle America were forgotten about and stuff. And and yeah, kind of like the way you're talking about, I've, I've spent a lot of time reading books, trying to understand what's going on. Why are people so divided? Why are people polarized? Is it as bad as we think? Or is it, you know, whatever it is and, and why, you know? So in, in your work, in your opinion, like, why do you think this has kind of happened like over time? Because I don't remember it, but I wasn't into politics. Like, I don't remember it being this bad, but what have you seen over recent years? Yeah. So. I think of it as the SOS, um, the first S being sorting, the second, mm. the, the O being othering, and the second S, so the third letter being siloing. So SOS, sorting, othering, siloing. And mm. many academics and researchers have written about all three of these things. But in brief, uh, sorting is about we want to be around people who are like us, who make us feel comfortable, especially when the world gets anxiety inducing, which it has in the last several years, lots mm -hmm. of transformations all around the world. And 
as people who want to live good lives, you know, we try to seek comfort and we find it with people who are like us and have uh, similar beliefs. Othering is what happens quite naturally, unfortunately, when we consider ourselves different from some other group. We consider our group different from some other group. Mm-hmm. It doesn't even matter, it turns out, how meaningful the difference really is. We just have a built-in sort of social programming to other and put distance between us and whoever is different. And that leads us sometimes to some really irrational dehumanizing behaviors. And then siloing uh, is the one that, man, I think it's, we're still getting a sense of how powerful this force is, but I, I'm holding up my iPhone. Like siloing is what happens when we carry these things around. It's like mm. our world is surrounding us with possibility and spontaneity, but I don't know, it's kind of fun to carry our own world that we've constructed in our own pockets. So that makes it even easier for us to live and breathe our own designed spaces, networks, information sources, of course. Mm -hmm. Uh, So we get in our silos where certain voices get amplified, certain attitudes get normalized, and difference across divides turns into something villainous and monstrous pretty Mm -hmm. quickly. Yeah, yeah. And one of the parts I loved, uh, I think, where you where you really hooked me in because I'm a huge psychology nerd, right? And I, I, I started getting into, you know, like crowd psychology and tribalism uh, when I had like a bunch of internet backlash in 2019. I was like, what, what the hell is going on, right? And, but you talk about like the robber's cave experiment and like the, uh, like the minimal group paradigm, like with the dots, right? With like underestimators. And like when I learned about this stuff and I was like, it, it takes so little for us to separate and it is it's mind-blowing and you know it's something I, I really try to bring awareness to because there's a lot of talk around and i would love your opinion on this there's a lot of a lot of conversations around like oh by uh you know uh racism or sexism or any of these like social issues aren't really issues and i'm like do you understand that we like evolved to separate and see people as others and different like and it feels like we can't get any closer to solutions until we accept that fact because it seems like a lot of us are running around in this denial like oh i'm i'm colorblind i don't see a difference in you know all these other things i'm like no it's kind of like built into us so i would love your thoughts on that do you think that there's a lack of understanding or awareness or is it denial and self-deception or why or do people know but they try to try to act like they don't i i don't know i, I would love your thoughts on that yeah, about those differences well yeah. i think we, i think we all want to be impervious to forces that make us weaker or worse human beings right so i think i think the the claims of colorblindness or of that doesn't affect me or i don't behave that way it comes from a really good place which is people actually trying to hack mm. programming and by the way it that can work i mean awareness you know can actually lead us to um, put our brains on a task, the task being, hey, be aware of the biases you have. Try to short circuit them. Try to overcome mm-hmm. them, right? So to me, like a lot of that comes from a very good place where people, where people really want to believe I can overcome those tendencies. I can, and maybe I really think that I do. Now, whether you actually do is a pretty complicated question because like you said, you know, the more that I learn about how these patterns happen, the less confident I am in my own ability to overcome these biases. It's so many of them are so automatic and embedded and primal mm-hmm. 
And the way that humanity, frankly, evolved to be what it is, and we've gotten this far, we had a lot of social type of, you know, battles and things. It's some really ugly stuff that's actually brought us this far. So mm -hmm. it's really like embedded into us um, to have an enemy and to push off against them. So, yeah, so I think, I think oftentimes, you know, claims of this doesn't affect me, this is not how I behave, come from a really good place mm -hmm. that might not, might, might not be humble enough to the reality of how powerful these tendencies truly are. Um, but I don't, I don't fault people for that, that much, because I don't know, I think, I think anything that comes from this idea that you want to be a good person is hard to fault all the way down. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, uh, I think this, you know, uh, I was going to wait till later, but we're going to, we're going to start talking about curiosity now because, so I was introduced to you, you were on uh, the new liberals, uh, podcast and curiosity is something that, uh, you know, I, I've just seen how much it's helped me in my life since, uh, pretty much since I got into like mindfulness meditation, like they're like, they're like, Oh, you know, foster curiosity. And it helped me a lot just with my mental health and doing the world and all that. And, you know, I think when it comes to these biases and everything, because I read a ton, like I got really into just understanding like human behavior or rationality, you know, uh, just uh, like uh, Daniel Kahneman's work on system one and system two thinking and all this other stuff. But anyways, here's my method and I'm curious what your method is. So I recognize these things and I, I know, you know, uh, that there's no like cure for some of these biases and things like that that happen. I remember uh, cutting myself some slack when I heard like Daniel Kahneman say like, hey, like I study this stuff. This is my life's work. I got like a Nobel prize and I still <laughs> deal with them. I'm like, okay, cool. Well, if, if you're still having them then. Yeah. Right, but anyways, like, you know, uh, I try to get curious. Like if I, like I, before living in this apartment, right? I lived in the hood. Like after I got sober in 2012, I moved back to Vegas. I had like no money. So I just got the cheapest apartment I could. They weren't doing credit checks, which was very good for me because I had done a lot of terrible things with my finances and my addiction. But anyways, it was in a bad, bad, bad neighborhood. Right. And, uh, you know, I didn't have my license when I got sober, so I had to ride the bus. And anyways, I noticed like my reactions when certain people would walk past me, walk towards me, were in this neighborhood and stuff. And I would just get curious. I'm like, oh, why did I react that way? Why did my body react that way? You know, and I would I would go through it. Like, was it, you know, skin color? Was it what they were wearing? Was it uh, was I putting them in a category before? No, I was just getting curious about it. Right. Like I was mentioning to you before you came on, like I'm half black. And if I noticed me doing that to someone, you know, who actually has that you know that that appearance like i was like whoa what why would that happen but then i noticed too and i think this is where i cut myself slack i was like oh i react that way to white people too because i'm just an anxious person i think everybody wants to rob and mug me and all those <laughs> other things but but anyways uh that's that's how i check in with my biases on a daily basis whether i'm coming across a news article a person i'm talking with whatever i ref i try to reflect on it after and get curious about how I responded, how my body responded, the thoughts I had and all that. So what is your strategy with curiosity and dealing with these biases and groups yeah. and stuff like that? What a great question. In, in terms of bi biases that are automatic and reactions uh, with people, I mean, the first thing is to cut myself some slack because we don't control those reactions very much at all. Mm -hmm. Those initial reactions happen and are a part of us. So what we control is exactly what you said what we do with that information, how aware we are of it, how much we scrutinize it and reflect on it. So 
that's the first thing is like, I, tr- I try not to go, oh my God, you're a horrible person. Like I will have that reaction <laughs> because we, because yeah. we, right. I like that. It, it's sort of a sequence section. It's like, oh, you know, some negative feeling. Oh, you're a horrible person. Yeah. And then, oh, wait, hang on. You're just a human being like everyone else. Okay. Let's think about it. Right. Uh, I think of one piece of advice from an author named Valerie Cower, who is incredible. Yeah. She wrote a book called See No Stranger. So Chris, you may want to read it. You read I'm, a lot. I'm of taking notes right now. <laughs> <laughs> She's fantastic. And, and she says that when she, when she encounters a stranger, right, someone who seems strange to her, what, whatever that may mean, she thinks of um, the Sikh tradition, S-I-K-H, the, the religion, the, the faith tradition, which she grew up in, and, um, and how a stranger is a part, a stranger is a part of me I do not yet know. Mm-hmm. That, that, you know, y- you might be someone I connect with later, eventually, that, to, to try to see the connectedness. So I, I, I borrow some of that as well. And the way that I do it is, particularly when I sense a, str- a really strong, surprising reaction that I'm not proud of, I actually will myself to kind of have the opposite reaction. I go, oh, I hated it. Try loving that. Try loving that. Try getting mm. closer to that. What does that feel like in your head? And then can you actually get close to that person right now? Can you go, wh- whatever that reaction was. And th- this happens not just with people, right? But with ideas. You were talking about reading articles. Um, I write in the book, I, I give one example of an article where I, it was a op-ed in the Washington Post and I read the headline and I immediately just cringed. I was like, ah. And then yeah. I was he browsing and then I thought, wait a second. Hang on. <laughs> Click the article. And I actually, I actually like went all in and recorded a, a voice memo of myself. Mm. I tried to record my intuitive thoughts as I read the article. First, I just read the article while silencing my critical voice. I just read it. Mm-hmm. And I tried to read it very generously. I read it with the attitude, can I believe it? Instead of must I believe it? Mm-hmm. You know, that's that comes from all kinds of social psychology, this idea that our brain. When, when it encounters ideas we don't like, it goes, must I believe it? And it looks for just one reason that I don't have to believe it. Mm-hmm. But the ideas you do like, you encounter at sort of, can I believe it? And then you just add a piece of evidence and another piece of evidence and you go, yes, yay, you know? So, so I did that with that article and I read the article, silencing my critical voice and thinking to myself, can I believe it? Can I believe it? Let me look at the pieces of evidence here and add them up as if this were an idea I already liked. Mm-hmm. And so where I ended up was in a much more complex understanding of this person's argument where I really saw their point. And in fact, when I encounter this issue uh, ever since, I keep thinking back to that, to that article and that reflective exercise because I was intentional about really trying to question my own reactions. And the mm-hmm. topic was um, uh, monuments to the founding fathers. The mm-hmm. op-ed was from a descendant of Thomas Jefferson, who was arguing that the Jefferson Memorial, if, if I'm not mistaken, that the Jefferson Memorial maybe should just be closed. And my my initial initial reaction was like, no, how dare you? But it's like, okay, wait, hang on. This is a descendant of Thomas Jefferson. He's going to have a really interesting perspective. Let me hear it. Mm-hmm. And I did, and it was it was really eye opening. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. Cause uh, yeah, I remember that part of the book and I can, I could definitely relate to that because 
and I think a lot of people just listening to this, like when we see even just a headline of an article and we just immediately, like, we just start like suiting up, like, Ooh, I can't wait to see how dumb and terrible these arguments are. I'm just going to rip it apart. Right. And I try to, I try to pause. And that's another uh, way mindfulness helped me is just like this moment to moment awareness. So as soon as I notice that I'm like, all right, Chris, you are going into this with bad intentions. Hell, sometimes like, you know, when I used to be in toxic, terrible relationships, it was just like getting ready for an argument and just like, Ooh, I can't wait to point out all the ways you're wrong and stuff. And, but what's even worse too, is this, uh, you know, kind of habit a lot of us have with just headline reading, because then we don't even give the person the opportunity. And, you know, as somebody who reads a ton, I, I really dislike when there are, you know, just so many criticisms of like a book from an author before it's even out or before anybody's even read it. I'm like, I'm like a book has somebody's just like, you're giving them like hundreds of pages to lay out their argument. And it's such a disservice to just judge it based on the the title and, you know, the subheading and the little blurb on the back. But um, I can't remember if you discussed this in the book, but uh, like uh, Dan Cahan's work with like motivated reasoning. Is that I, in the book? I, I believe that I do very briefly introduce motivated reasoning, but I don't dwell on it at the academic depth. Right. Yeah. Uh, but but yeah, I mean. I think motivated reasoning is something that we all need to understand at a basic level because mm-hmm. uh, too many of us think I'm extremely rational. I am yeah. extremely rational. I'm so, you know, I'm well-educated. I read a lot. I'm very smart. Yeah. <laughs> and so therefore my judgments about the world are very sound and come from um, the same kind of processes that, led to, you know, scientific studies that have built our understanding of the world thus far. Like I am that kind of thinker. The truth yeah. is, is on our on our own, none of our judgments work like that at all. Yeah. They all dip into what we are our our feelings. You know, Jonathan Haidt talks about the elephant and the rider. I'm sure you yeah. know ideas, you know, that it's um our reasoning mind is like a rider on an elephant and our elephant is our intuitive mind. We mm-hmm. go where our elephant wants to go because it's an elephant. Yeah. It takes a lot of will to reflect and 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 try to try to understand our own thinking. Um, and in fact, I was reading a, a, another great book, uh, Ellen Petrie Leans. Uh, it's a book called The Happiness Hack, and she's a neuroscientist. Mm. And um, you know, to understand a little bit about the prefrontal cortex, which is the, the one of the newest parts of our brain in yeah. human right? And it's right at the front of our of our heads. And she does this wonderful analogy uh, to sort of mileage in a car. Like the rest of our thinking brain has really good gas mileage and um, does a lot of automatic automatic and reactive thinking. But the PFC, the prefrontal cortex, which is the one where we disrupt ourselves and interrupt our biases or whatever and think about what we're thinking about, has horrible gas mileage. Yeah. It takes so much energy to think at that level. And so we usually don't do it. Mm-hmm. We're really busy, right? We're really busy. We got a lot going on. So, our, so our intuition ends up really running the show. Um, and again, that's natural. We couldn't possibly live our lives if we questioned every judgment that yeah. came like millions a day. We can't do it. So we have to be choosy, you know, strategic about yeah. how we spend our fuel. 
Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it's, it's something, um, you know, that I'm, uh, something I'm really passionate about is just like updating beliefs and questioning thoughts, because it's, it's what helped me get sober. So I always say, like, it literally saved my life, I had to switch these beliefs, like my old beliefs were, oh, drugs and alcohol, or, you know, my solution to everything. And, you know, uh, I also used to think I was the smartest person on earth. And I didn't get that humility until I got sober. I'm like, oh, wait, maybe I don't know nearly as much. But I, I always tell people too, like a great, a great thought experiment is, you know, kind of like what you were just mentioning, is, is any person on the planet going to say, hi, I'm, I'm Chris and I'm really irrational, right? Like nobody's going to say that. So oh. if nobody thinks they're irrational, then clearly something's wrong because it, it is something that happens and we see it all the time. So that's when you got to step back and say, oh, well, if nobody thinks they're irrational, then maybe I'm one of those people and I need to start questioning some of these things running through my heads. But, you know, uh, that, that leads me to probably like the main the main question I wanted to ask you while you're here, and it's about the work that you all do with Braver Angels. You know, uh, before before even, you know, checking out Braver Angels' work and, you know, reading your book, uh, a lot of books reference it uh, when I read books about polarization and you guys are doing just such an amazing thing, right? Bringing people together, different beliefs. Uh, you know, I, I uh, there's even the ones where it's like, you know, on racial issues, it's not just political issues and it's just, beautiful. So here's my primary question, because I feel like it is the biggest challenge. And you probably know this as well. Like, how do you even get people to want to do this? Right? Like, for example, uh, I, I've worked in treatment, I've worked with 1000s of addicts over, you know, my nine and a half years sober, and people have to hit a rock bottom, like oftentimes, like nobody's like, Hey, my life's going great. And I want to get sober. No, it's like, usually like things are going bad, right? So when it comes to, you know, someone wanting to get involved with Braver Angels and talk with people across the divide, I'm like, what's their motivation? And maybe you're more optimistic because you see more people. But what I see is a bunch of people who love staying in their, their echo chambers, love watching like clips of people like owning the other side. They love doing that. So how, how do we get people there? What is your main strategy? How do you get people to want to do this type of thing? A great question. I'll tell you my intuitive response. What my, what my, what my elephant first said, as soon as you've articulated that question, because I'm just going to say it, you said, how do you get people to want to do this? And my elephant said, you don't. Yeah. And I think the elephant is correct. You don't get people to want to do this. They come to it because they're ready. Yeah. And, and, um, you know, I'll give you, I'll give you a bit of a, a sense. Uh, I, I read a bit in the book about this too. There is so much pain out there. I feel like I'm a bit of a confessional booth. Um, I hear a lot of private stories about people who have really hit, um, a breaking point. Yeah. Um, recently we had a retreat at Braver Angels. So the, the staff, the national staff, which by the way, includes volunteers who spend more hours than you can imagine on this, um, unpaid, you know, this is, this is work people come to with a lot of conviction. And at our retreat, we, one of the big ways that we got started was going around and everyone explaining how they came to this work. It floored me. Yeah. Everyone had their own breaking point their own reason, whether it was a relationship with their family or a frustration with their industry, um, with the norms of around them, with a, a, frankly, like being exhausted by a feeling of helplessness. Mm. 
that, well, the politicians are going to have to fix this or, well, the media is going to have to fix this. It's their problem. No, it's not. Mm -hmm. All our problem. And so a lot of these stories are private, very private. People are whispering them and they're holding them in their hearts. They're sharing them with us. Uh, every day I get emails from people who are just discovering Braver Angels and saying, oh my gosh, I'm so glad you exist. I already did this workshop and that workshop and I talked mm. to my friend last night and it went a lot better. And, you know, and I think we're actually going to have Thanksgiving after all, you know? Um, so, yeah, so that, that I think is the most honest answer I can give is, is there a strategy? <laughs> you know, at this retreat, one of my colleagues, Eduardo and Dino, um, said, gave a quote that I'd never heard that I thought was so great, which was, a man convinced against his will is of the same opinion still. Mm. So we are so obsessed with persuasion and strategy. Yeah. And, and even a little bit of manipulation. But um, Braver Angels has a culture of understanding humans. And mm -hmm. I really think people have to find their way to this work. But what we do is we, we share, the, we model the conversations that people think are impossible. They're not mm -hmm. impossible. We model the exchange of ideas from pole to pole that is instructive and insightful that people think are impossible. It's not impossible. Mm -hmm. um, and we share a lot. We, we share as many of these private stories. We, we, we talk to the people and we say, can we share this? Right. And we put it out and they'll share it themselves. And so it's happening, right? It's spreading out the sense of no, we're not out. I think that is maybe the most important ingredient. I think that's what we've lost. This idea that mm -hmm. it's, we can't possibly do it. And so we better not try. And we just need to sit back and just hope for the best and just take care of our own and like, you know, hope our democracy doesn't fall. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. You know, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna hope that it just kind of figures itself out. I, so, so, but, but again, I, I don't think people, you know, people don't need to come to Braver Angels or to any part of this sort of concern, whether it's with us or anywhere, it doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. People don't need to come to that with this idea of like, we got to save America. Many of them do. <laughs> and, mm -hmm. and I do in some ways, but, but no, save your relationship, save your own, um, save your own intellectual integrity, save yeah. your ability to see the world for what it is instead of what your silo presents it to you as. Recognize we are all walking through a funhouse. Yeah. We're in the matrix. We're, give the metaphor you want. In a polarized world, none of us sees the world clearly yeah. unless we get intentionally and fearlessly curious in a way that we think is impossible, but is not impossible. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I, I, I had a few just uh, moments in my life where this, this, you know, this really changed where I started, you know, like you mentioned, like seeing people as humans and, you know, uh, one of them was just working at a treatment center, right? Because there's a, you know, there's a, a narrative that, you know, uh, for, for some people that addicts are bad people, they're just like, oh, you know, why'd you use drugs and, you know, whatever. And having so many one-on-one -on -one conversations, because I, I worked at one of the biggest treatment centers, like in, you know, on the West coast, like we had hundreds of beds. So we had a lot of clients and I had so many one-on-one -on -one conversations. And I remember talking with them and just hearing about their childhoods and their traumas and their suffering. And I'm like, 
yeah, no wonder why you turned to substances, right? Like I'm the kid of an alcoholic mom, which led to, you know, my stuff, but hearing just so many stories, I'm like, wow. Right. But then also, um, uh, you mentioned Jonathan Haidt, his book, The Righteous Mind. That was another one that just gave me this aha moment when I was just starting to understand like these people who I disagreed with, you know, maybe, uh, you know, on political topics and stuff, just understanding like, oh, oh, you were, you were born here. You were raised here. You know, like I'm, I'm from the West coast. Uh, I've, you know, been pretty uh, non-religious my entire life, but my, my experience is going to be so much different than someone from the South where they've gone to church, you know, <laughs> religiously their entire life. They're surrounded by these communities who believe a certain way, you know, uh, what, um, you know, farmers, uh, people working in coal mines and stuff, they're going to have such a different experience than me. And I'm like, oh, okay. So, you know, what's helped me is understanding there is a reason people believe what they believe, right? And maybe they're, you know, uh, some of the political topics we discuss is affecting their family members or, you know, someone they know, and that's why their view has been shaped a certain way. And, you know, in the, in the book, you share some of your own, you know, personal experience. And I, I would love if you could talk about it a little bit, but you, you said uh, your, your parents were, uh, or are, or I don't, I don't know if they still are, like Trump supporters. And like, you, you like kind of start off the book like that and you were like, Ah, what the hell? You know, so how how did you do that? You know, especially at the time of recording this, Thanksgiving's tomorrow. So people are gonna be, you know, getting with their families, but they'll be listening to this after. How do you how did you start with this kind of family relationship? You know, because a lot of families have been torn apart and I can understand getting emails about that kind of stuff, right? Uh so what what helped you with that situation? Yeah, so to to summarize. <laughs> I, I, um, I'm a Mexican immigrant, um, and, and so is my immediate family. So my, my two parents and my younger brother, um, we became citizens in the year 2000, uh, after living in the United States for about 10 years, no, maybe 11 or 12. And it was, it was, it was a big moment, you know, for, for us. And, uh, I describe a, a photograph from my mother's naturalization ceremony, which was the last one. Because me and my brother were under 18 at the time, we became naturalized at the same time. And then it felt like immediately I saw a Bush Cheney poster over my mother's desk. And I was like, the hell? <laughs> what is this? Yeah. And, um, you know, we had, I don't remember having that much of a political consciousness before we were citizens, maybe a bit i saw i watched cnn headline news you know i had a little tiny tv set i got when i was 16 in my bedroom uh -huh. and i sort of proudly watched headline news i'm sure uh but but i i wasn't following it all that closely but i think a part of me just assumed that my parents and i were on the same page you know we're mexican immigrants i don't know isn't that something democrats are good at you know like yeah isn't that isn't that how that works i i don't know and so that was just kind of interesting and we ended up in all kinds of fights over our um, dining room table. Our culture, you know, some of this is just Mexican culture. Some of them, some of this is my own extended family's culture. We are extremely unfiltered. Yeah. I don't understand. I, I, in high school, I used to kind of have to warn a couple of my friends, like, you should know something <laughs> about my parents and about me and my brother. Like, you'll hear yelling. It's okay. <laughs> mm -hmm. And so that's, that's just kind of how we roll. So there were a lot of fights. I remember like Clinton and welfare coming up and just, you know, and, and me going, you know, just being this teenager. So it was 
just fighting about it and and them really holding firm and these would go on for a long time it was time to sleep and anyway so this this happened a lot but but at, you know from way back then we had a way of sort of fighting and arguing getting mad about this stuff but it never it never ever was allowed to feel it never got to the point of sort of i can't accept you mm. like man those ideas I can't, how could you but but i you're you're my mom what what am i gonna what am i not gonna be your daughter? like that's silly yeah. you know it never it never got to that point um now when trip came along that really rekindled the flame um we 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 did you know do the whole thing as i grew into an adult and moved across the country and saw my parents i remember you know we, we fought about going back several times <laughs> yeah one at a restaurant where i think we were a little too loud um, <laughs> at, uh, but yeah what with Trump, it was it, it it was really, really intense because, you know, I started kind of lobbing accusations at my mother about like, you're so compassionate. Like you you raised me and my brother to to want to volunteer and want to help people. How would you possibly support this person who seems to just relish tearing people apart? How could you? It just doesn't add up, you know? Um, and so there was a lot of that, a mm. lot of incredulousness. And then me recognizing that I was using also, this is uh, hard to hard to get out, but like I was using my perhaps advanced English vocabulary, perhaps, um, you know, my American college education and the fact that I'm a journalist and I've been reading articles, more articles about this than you guys have. Yeah. You know, um, or I've been reading more articles that are trustworthy than you guys have. Yeah. You know, and I was doing a lot of lording over and um and it's taken some time to realize how how harmful that is. Mm -hmm. And how unnecessary and uncalled for. And um yeah, and then that evolved to uh in in my journey writing this book of my curiosity about curiosity, blending this thread with my parents also with the thread of of being a journalist and an extraordinarily curious one, I've realized. Mm -hmm. I thought it was the norm. It's not maybe the norm. <laughs> How curious I am. I, I really do believe that everyone has their reasons. Mm -hmm. I, I believe that to my core. Uh, those reasons exist. If we choose to believe they don't exist, that's on us. Mm -hmm. You can go and find out those reasons. If people are willing to share them with you, and they will only be willing to share them with you if they feel heard by you. So you better work on that. Mm -hmm. And building the trust in the relationships to even be able to, to have the privilege of understanding where people come from. But but understanding where people are coming from is understanding. Mm -hmm. That that's what it is. Yeah. It, it, it's so much, so much, so many times on social media and others, we have this sort of ethic of the the moment, of the present. Your opinion today is all I need to know about you. Yeah. <laughs> what? Where yeah. did that where did that come from? And how could that possibly make sense? It came from the chopped up nature of social media. It's, mm -hmm. a, it's an ethic that technology has amplified that is not human, mm -hmm. it's not real, right? Yeah. So we need to reject that. Uh, but to, <laughs> to end a long monologue here, um, I, I have had extraordinary conversations with my parents about their politics and they with me about mine, because trust me, they are as incensed you know, yeah. <laughs> about my ideas as I am about them. And so um, we've really, I've gotten to the place where I can say with 100% confidence, well, never mind. Nothing can be said with 100% confidence. Maybe 90. There's all, yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, but, but I can say that I understand why I'm, 
not only that I understand why my parents voted for Trump twice, but that if mm-hmm. I were them, I would have voted for Trump too. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, it, it goes back to that curiosity. That's one of the reasons I, I love doing this podcast. And, you know, I brought on people who, you know, I, I disagree with on a lot of things, you know, just, uh, you know, like I'm, I'm this very like progressive, like I wanted like Bernie Sanders and Medicare for all and like, <laughs> like all that stuff, but I'll bring people on who just completely disagree with that. And this podcast gives me an opportunity just to ask questions and just sit back and listen, because like you said, there's always a reason. And, you know, with your, with your experience, you know, being Mexican immigrants, like I, I hear these stories about, you know, people in, you know, like Florida, right. And stuff who, who voted for Trump and they're immigrants and all these other things. And, and I'm like, there's gotta be a reason, right? Because like you said, if you just look at social media or if you look at people's just like outrageous, like responses to it, it's like, oh, you're dumb. You're just not educated. You just don't know. I'm like, there's gotta be, there's gotta be more than that. Right. There has to be more, you know, and, and I can almost see too, like, cause it's I'm not always, just that there's more, it's that those assumptions are just not correct anyway. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. That's really, you know what yeah. I mean? And I, I can almost understand too, because I try to do a lot of perspective taking and there's gotta, there's gotta be a, you know, a sense of just, you know, loving this country if you're an immigrant, right? Like, I'm so glad you brought that up. Like there has to be like, I, I'm just like, if I was leaving somewhere and they accepted me, like, it's going to be hard for me to say anything bad. About and I tell you something on that point. So yeah. just, I just flew back from Florida. Uh, oh. for a conference I was at there and the taxi driver, his name was Charles. I always ask, I didn't try to ask names all the time because I love conversations with taxi drivers, Uber drivers, the best conversations. Oh yeah, for sure. Uh, anyway, uh, but yeah, he was driving me to the airport from the hotel and he's from Haiti. I noticed him speaking French on the phone and I was like, oh, you're, you know, you're speaking French. Like asked him about himself. He's from Haiti. He has three grown children um, living, uh, I think in the Dominican Republic because not that long ago, the the president of Haiti was assassinated, basically. Yeah. Like turmoil, right? And so he, you know, now the Dominican Republic is taking all these Haitian refugees and trying to get them back to Haiti where everything is chaotic. And there's all this, you know, horrible things happening, like kidnapping of missionaries, people dying. Like, I guess a bus was just recently. Um, oh, yeah. And like, he was just telling me all this stuff. And I'm going, man, and it reminded me of my family in Mexico has been through some horrors with the way that drug cartels can just take over um, mm-hmm. neighborhoods, cities, like my birth, my birth city of Monterrey, Mexico, back in like 2012, 2014, around then, like there were some cartel issues and, and some of my family members were caught in gun crossfire and stuff. It's like horrible, you know? And so he and I were connecting on the fact that we come from these countries that have so much work to do, you know, and, and where family members are, are in danger in a really visceral way. And he, you know, he wants to bring, um, once, uh, once his, his kid, I think, uh, completes medical school, you know, mm. wants to bring him up to the United States and, and all of that. But, God, but we were talking about exactly that, how, you know, I, I think the way I put it to him was like, do you ever wonder if Americans who aren't immigrants just have lost perspective? <laughs> Do we have enough perspective on how much potential and good things America already has? Mm-hmm. And, you know, we, we, we focus as we should uh, on what's um, getting lost and what's being degraded. I get that. But, uh, but I think it, it, some immigrants have a particularly 
sharp sense of perspective on, yeah. no, we've got something good here and we can't, can't give it up. We can't give it up. And, and we got we to gotta work on it and we got to protect it and we got to make mm -hmm. it better. But the way we don't do that is by turning on each other. Yeah. That's for damn sure. Because that's how all these other countries got into the mess they're in. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. So like, if y'all, if y'all think that like in staying entrenched and hating the other side and lobbing things at them and not opening your mind is the way out, you're digging a deeper hole. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And there's, you know, there's this, uh, you know, sense of gratitude and also seeing like their terribleness, uh, you know, like, uh, it's funny because, um, I, I have an upcoming guest where we're going to be talking about, you know, uh, the issues with drug policy and everything, but I, I was interviewed on another podcast and he asked me a lot of questions about me getting sober and stuff. But anyways, what I'm getting at is I'm very protective of Alcoholics Anonymous and there's a lot of criticisms. I have my own criticisms or whatever, but you know, one of the reasons I'm for Medicare for all and stuff like that is because when I got sober, I had no money, no insurance, nothing. Right. And thank God for AA because it was free. Right. So when people are like, oh, it's a cult or oh, they do this or oh, do that. I'm like, you, they saved my life. So let's calm down a little bit. So I understand, exactly. I understand some of that, uh, that protectiveness. And that's, you know, I, maybe that's where I get this understanding where immigrants or, you know, whoever is protective of some of these things in the United States, because from them on it, it saved their life or the family's life, gave them an opportunity that they weren't going to have. Like, and, you know, something that 12 step programs did teach me was, you know, uh, I had, uh, and I think a lot of us do, but me personally, I had this instant reaction to see the differences rather than the similarities. Right. So what's helped me out a lot is no matter who I'm talking to, I know there's something I can connect with. Like, for example, anti-vaxxers who don't trust big pharma and stuff. I'm like, I was, I was an opioid addict who got hooked on prescription pills so we can connect on not trusting big pharma right now yeah. that's a gateway to a conversation and yeah, you yeah. know we can start talking and you know yeah. that's that's something that helps out a lot it's just where can you connect whether it's you know you both have kids you both have you know jobs or you know your boss sucks whatever it is but something you know with with a little bit more of your time i have a few more questions and so one of them that i i'm curious your i don't know solutions or thoughts because something with social media or even mainstream media, any type of media, <clears throat> we're very incentivized, or there's this big incentive, especially in a capitalist type of society, to fuel this polarization, right? Like there are figureheads and uh, on Twitter, for example, where 99.9% .9 of their tweets are just, look how dumb the other side is, look at this, right? And I'm sitting there like, you're not, you're not helping. Right. Um, and, and it, it, it kills me, you know, uh, because it's, it doesn't seem like it's helping. These people have hundreds of thousands of followers. It's one of the reasons I asked you about how do we get people to come to braver angels and stuff, because these are some of the most popular accounts on Twitter. They're some of the most, uh, watched TV shows or YouTube videos where it's just degrading the other side. Look how dumb they are. Here's this dumb thing they said. So yeah. I, 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 I kind of agree with you that it starts with us. Like I have to be very mindful of who I follow, who I watch and, you know, and all that stuff. But what are your thoughts? Like, is this something that yeah. the, the people I mean, have to work I, on? I want to share another, I want to share another reaction just because those Do are it. conversation starters, even though like, oh, maybe if I think about it, I shouldn't have said that. Um, <laughs> those conversation starters when we couch them the right way. And one reaction I had as you were talking is like that I've never had before is, uh, man, 
that's the automatic brain of social media. That's the mm. automatic. We, these patterns of uh, hating on the other side get us so many good things. Um, they get us status. They get us followers. They get us mm-hmm. vanity metrics. They get us, um, they get us love. They do. They get us love from people who want answers now to feel better about where the world is headed and to know their place in it and to not have to think too hard about it because we're all tired. And so that's the unthinking brain of the, of the internet, right? Doing all of that. And it's popular. Of course it is. Low gas mileage for all of us. You know, Braver Angels is a little closer to the PFC, I think. And so, <laughs> yeah. so, and so is everyone who is trying to put their mind on what could be a better way when it is not surrounding us, that takes more work, right? It takes more mm-hmm. conviction. So it's harder, but it's so important. So that's the kind of, <laughs> you know, that, that's yeah. where I begin. I, I, I completely agree. I mean, it's, it's an uphill battle in every sense of the word. And it's not just, you know, the, the forces of media and, and all of that. It's also a lot of money, frankly. I mean, there's, yeah. a, there's a lot of commercial investment in, because, you know, here's the thing, and here's, here's one interesting little analogy, too, is like, I'm a journalist, right? I went through some experiences, uh, you know, really quick. I, I, the, the reason I got to Seattle was to work for the Seattle Post-Intelligencer, the oldest paper in Seattle, a real institution, beautiful, beautiful, wonderful newspaper. I worked with 174 colleagues. Mm. And in, uh, in 2010, am I right about that? 2010 or 2009. Oh, my God. Anyway, look uh-huh. it up. but the paper closed oh. and it was the largest daily newspaper in America to close in the modern era. It, it wounded Seattle. It was awful. Um, so anyway, I know firsthand how difficult it is to push back against the commercial forces around how we share information. Local media is suffering like you wouldn't believe. National media is very powerful, um, but competitive at a, at a, at a, in a horrible way. And so the way they win, of course, is to do the Facebook emotional shares or whatever you have to do, right? So, yeah, so there, there are these financial incentives where uh, when it comes to being media or being information or being a politician, standing out from the crowd, yeah. getting a piece of the attention economy when we're also inundated with information takes things that are not good ultimately for the human psyche mm-hmm. but you have to do some of those things you have to be okay with doing some of those things to serve back um in 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 the system because and here's the the principle that i've learned about media is the better you can define your audience and relate and connect to them the higher your likelihood of surviving financially as mm-hmm. outlet as a politician as a as media institution in, in all the ways. And so all of those institutions and all of those people know that the better they can define and connect to their audience, the better it will all go. So are they incentivized to challenge their audience on their biases? No. <laughs> no, the opposite. They're incentivized to be as loyal as they possibly can to their base. And again, this applies to politicians, media and everybody. So I get it. I empathize because I've been there. I yeah. have to do those things too, to mm-hmm. keep my job. You know, so damn it. Yeah. It's just. Yeah, um, it, it, it's, 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 it's something that I, I, I 
been sharing with people about, you know, 2019, I, you know, my YouTube channel was exploding to like a hundred thousand subscribers, but I got caught up in that because I originally started a YouTube channel, just talk about mental health and addiction. But I, I, I figured out quickly because I have a background in marketing, kind of like what you're talking about with journalism. Yeah. Like I knew yeah. it was going to get the clicks and stuff like that. And okay. it, it got me in trouble and I didn't like what I was doing. I didn't like what I had to do. And it's something that I'm trying to figure out with this podcast too. And that's why I look at Braver Angels as this kind of beacon of hope for me, because I try not to be super polarizing and, you know, and, and just talk from a place of like curiosity and understanding and all these other things. But like you said, it's not as incentivizing because people don't want their beliefs challenged. They don't want that challenge. But one of the things that I, I try to teach people is no matter who you're listening to, no matter what you're reading, watching, whatever, ask what's in it for them, right? Because I think, you know, I think if you could just ask that question, now you could sit back a little bit because none of us want to be manipulated, you know? And I think if we understand like, oh, maybe you don't have my best interests at heart. Exactly. <laughs> if, if we could just exactly. pause. And so how do you, how do you, Monica, how do you filter what you're consuming or is it more just kind of like what you mentioned with that article? Do you just kind of read it, everything and listen to everybody and just kind of check in with yourself? How do you manage those kind of quick reactions and stuff on a day-to-day -day basis and what yeah. you watch and follow? Well, the first thing is I've noticed that I'm a lot more present and mentally good with all the things. If I really limit my, my dips into you talked earlier about how we read headlines, right? Like social media is nothing but that. It's like reading headlines without going deeper. And, and it sparks all these anxieties, all these feelings, you know, maybe it's envy here and maybe it's resentment here. And, mm -hmm. and then after uh, it, it's been 60 seconds and we're already like loaded with stress. Um, so <laughs> I limit the time that I, that I do that, but I'm not, I'm not perfect at that at all. It's a continuous struggle. I can't even tell you, like it still happens. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Where I'm like, why have I been doing this for three hours? How did I get down this deep black hole? Like, even the fact that I've thought about this so much and I, I have like a particularly specific, you know, understanding of the potential costs, you know, to, to one's personal self and relationships, e even then, like mm -hmm. this, the, the pull is so strong, you know, um, but one thing that has helped is, you know, connecting with folks like, well, like you and like Angel Eduardo and like, and, you mm -hmm. know, yeah, or it, all these people who are building a little corner of Twitter that doesn't behave in the normal ways at all. Mm -hmm. and, um, we express gratitude and uh, for ideas, and we stay curious about each other's perspectives, and we're excited about how this way of doing things is actually much more exhilarating than mm -hmm. the normal way. It's actually better, and we know that. So, so I have faith that like, because, because we know that it's better and that it's exhilarating, mm -hmm. it should be sexier than what's yeah. currently sexy. It should, and it's not, but whatever. So anyway, so that gives me a lot of support and hope. It, I think it's important to connect with people who also want to be open-minded. And there mm. are a lot of them out there, even on all the most toxic platforms. Oh no, you know, those platforms are open and that's their gift. And so you'll find these other voices. So I try to spend time um, yeah, with folks who, who come at, at it that way, but who have totally different ideas because, you know, being curious is not about surrounding yourself with people who share your beliefs <laughs> yeah. at all, right? It's the opposite. But, but what I want is to, is, is to meet and connect with people who are teaching me and teaching each other how to be more curious. And I've mm -hmm. learned a lot. So it's only, it's just 
it's just making it all better. Um, and then as far as filtering media and things like that, I have vastly reduced uh, how much I read the New York Times. The New York Times used to be an addiction. I'll, I'll just say that. I mean, yeah. I'm a everyone who's a journalist worth their salt envies the New York Times, wants to be the New York Times, envies their power and influence and resources. It's phenomenal. I know so many good friends who have ended up at the New York Times. Like, you know, it's that big thing, yeah. this, but it's also an addiction. And I don't want that. No, yeah. it sucks me in and it sucks me into worldviews that are not as broad as they think. Yeah. A a as good as they are what they do, they are the they are wonderful journalists. Um, but no, I, I don't I don't want all of my media to be produced out of New York and DC and I just don't want it. So. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, one of my one of my hopes for this podcast too, like you mentioned, like Angel and Xavier, he was just on for a bonus episode. And, you know, he even helped me like be a little bit more compassionate and understanding. But one of the things I hope with this podcast is I do bring on people uh, like I had John McWhorter on, right? He could be very yeah. polarizing um, and, and things like that. But I'll bring people, you know, I've, I've also had people on the other side, like I've had guests who talk about white supremacy or social justice parenting. So each one of them is going to bring in a different audience. And I'm kind of hoping that bringing people in from all different sides it's it's going to create a little a little mini yeah. braver angels you know what i mean because yeah. somebody will come and be like oh cool this guy platforms this guy and then they're like wait who is this person but then they'll actually be able to listen and hear because you know uh i i purposely you know part of what i do I'll, I'll purposely read an entire book from someone i feel like i disagree with and sometimes at the end of it i'm like yeah i still disagree with you you know whatever but i understand you a little bit more yeah, um yeah. but sure. yeah that because i'm just like if i if i because I'm giving you like hours of my life, right? I'm like, I feel like I gave you a fair chance and everything like that. And I don't know if we'll ever hang out, but I, I understand your perspective or even people who follow you, their perspective and things like that. But, you know, with with one last question, I want to ask you this because uh, just the other day before recording this, we, uh, there was a Kyle Rittenhouse verdict. And, you know, I was wondering if we were going to like talk about that, but I think we can, you know, make it a little bit more evergreen because uh, one of the things that I noticed, kind of like what you're talking about, I found myself, because I limit my social media too, uh, I was doom scrolling through the Kyle Rittenhouse, just polarizing just everybody because I was seeing what the left was saying, what the right was saying. And, I, I found myself just caught up in it. I had to go and just tune out. I built, I worked on some Legos and things like that, whatever. But um, what I saw was just like so much anger, so much anger during the trial, so much anger after the trial, like during the trial, it was from both sides, right? After the trial, there was a little bit more celebration over here, a little bit more anger over here. So my last question for you is, uh, you know, you talked about a little bit with your parents, but like, with, even with Braver Angels, I don't know if you have tools that you give people who come to these Braver, Braver Angels events, but it seems like anger is the primary thing that we have to tune tune down, right? Because when we start getting into these yelling, screaming matches and stuff like that, like nothing gets solved. It's one of the reasons I stopped. I, one of the books I wrote was Rewire Your Anger because I had such big anger management issues. And then eventually I reflected, I'm like, oh, wait, that literally hasn't solved anything my entire life. So maybe I should <laughs> So. What are some techniques for people to bring in that curiosity, turn turn up the curiosity, turn down the anger, and have conversations when they think someone is just just even morally just incorrect in their views? How what are some suggestions for people to do that? My number one thing, first, the reframing, right? And um, is to reframe that anger. Like our initial reaction is to get defensive, obviously, to want to put our stake in the ground, push it deeper. Uh 
to fight back, to get just as angry in, in return. The, the, the way to reframe this through curiosity is to understand that mm-hmm. anger is fueled by deep, about, like deep concern. Yeah. Concern reveals values. Mm-hmm. So one of the most powerful questions in my journalism for you know years is is what are you concerned about you know when it comes to this mm. issue what are your concerns what are you afraid of what's going on right? and so when we reframe anger and passion that gets even mean like okay fine it's mean you know why because that's how angry this person is you know why because that's how concerned this person is mm. you know why no you don't so ask yeah. What are they so concerned about? Become curious about them. I'll go back to Valerie Cower, uh, the author I mentioned earlier, because she has a wonderful, um, a wonderful statement about anger. Anger protects that which is loved. Mm-hmm. So what is being, what's, what does that person love they think is under threat? The Kyle Rittenhouse trial, when it comes to this anger, wasn't about Kyle Rittenhouse. Yeah. But what was it? About? What is it about? We should all be asking their question. It's not about Kyle Rittenhouse. Yeah. It's about what he represents. It's about what the debate represents. It's about what happened in Kenosha, right? Like, it's about what that represents for mm-hmm. all of us. Because most of us haven't even been there. Yeah. Don't, don't con- you know, we're not part of that community, but we're part of a broader American community, and we're part of this cacophonous conversation now where everything matters, which is itself a problem. but. <laughs> it's a lot. It's too much for our wiring to handle, but mm-hmm. we can we can be choosy. Anyway, it all comes down to that. What is this really about? What are the concerns? And I guarantee you those concerns are not as infuriating as we think. The mm-hmm. concerns are valid. They're human. What are they? Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, uh, this last thing also, like I, I've, I've thought about that a lot, just even in the last year with uh, people, you know, at their community hearings screaming about vaccine mandates and things like that, or recently critical race theory has been everywhere. And you see these parents talking about the books and what they're, you know, and I'm like, I'm a parent, right? Like this person is so angry and passionate about, they're worried about their child, right? Why are they worried about their child? They love their child, right? And sometimes, sometimes because of the media, like we talked about, they're, they're getting bad information, which has heightened their concerns, you know? Uh, but but I, I love I love that reframing of it because that anger does come from a, a concern. And I love what you just said, like bad information heightens real concerns. I think a lot, I'm just going to say it, I think a lot of liberals use the fact of misinformation to dismiss hearing other people at all. Yeah. Yes, there's misinformation, but the only reason the misinformation is traveling, the only reason it works is because it's speaking to real concerns. Mm-hmm. Stop, stop like trying to kill the misinformation without also being curious about the concerns because then it's a game of whack-a-mole, you know? Oh, yeah. you're going to update your algorithm to zap out. That's not going to do anything. <laughs> That's what yeah. Stop wasting energy on this without also trying to address the concerns or at least acknowledge them. You don't have to agree with them, but acknowledge them because people find a way to, to, to express themselves if they don't feel like that, that any, you know, if they feel like they're being something, somebody's not understanding them, that they're going to figure it out how to get, yeah. you know, angrier and angrier so i just think we're doing it a whole world yeah yeah 
Absolutely. I, I love it. And and Monica, I I truly hope, and I'm not just building you up because you're on my podcast and you're amazing, but I hope your book gets as much attention as it deserves because it's such an important, important book. You know, like I'm going to revisit it when I feel myself getting polarized and ridiculous again and stuff like that. But, <laughs> all do. We all will. So and that's okay. For everybody listening, where where can they find you and follow you and the work of braver angels and all that kind of good stuff. Yeah. So um, if you go to my Twitter at Moni Guzman, my profile has a link to all kinds of mm. stuff, like how to pre-order the book, how to join my newsletter. Uh, also my TEDx talk just premiered. Mm. Really excited about that. Uh, so all kinds of stuff. So uh, look for me on Twitter, uh, also Instagram uh, at Moni Guzman on Instagram, and you'll find links in those profiles too all the other goodies. So, and um, including, of course, Braver Angels. Follow Braver Angels at Braver Angels. And um, yeah, and check us out. We're, we're doing stuff that people think is impossible and is not. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and one last question, because I'm always trying to ask. So when the book drops, is it is it going to be released internationally or is it just domestically at first? Because sometimes they stagger the days because we have we have issues like this all over the world. So do you, do you have that information yet? Yeah. <laughs> Somebody from Australia asked this and then someone from Canada. And yeah, I've been getting emails. <laughs> just like, what can I, you know, I can't wait to buy this when it's, when it's in Canada. I'm like, I'm sorry. So no, I, I don't think that, that I should know this, man. I, I may have to correct, like, I'll talk to the publisher and, and yeah, maybe you can edit this. But <laughs> beautiful. as far as I know, it's, it's just, just the U.S. But I, I'm not sure. I'm a first time author. I'm so new to this. Yeah. So well, once we find out, I'm sure you'll yeah. let me know and I can update yeah. the description with all these other links and yes. everything like that. Sorry, I really should do that. <laughs> <laughs> no, you'd be surprised how many authors I asked that and they're like, I have no idea. I need yeah. to find out because yeah. I don't, I don't think a lot of people know there's an issue, but since I'm a reader and I have people from all over the world who listen, they're like, Hey, when's it coming out? <laughs> yeah. So we'll, okay. we'll find out and we'll let everybody know. But Monica, Yes. I've been waiting to talk to you forever and we finally linked up. So thank you so much for taking the time to come on. I really of appreciate course. it. Of course. And um, real quick, I think maybe in case I didn't answer your question like, correctly, it does come out March 8th, 2022. That is for sure. That I know that that date is that in my head. So, yeah. Okay. Uh, one more right. question. Will it be, will there be an audio version? Yes. And you know what? What? I start recording it this Sunday. Ooh. I had beautiful. to audition for the part of reading my own book. And I got it, and I'm so excited. Congratulations. I, I love it. When, since I'm an audio listener, I love when the author reads it. So that is, that's awesome. I can't wait. So beautiful. And and yeah, I'm sure we will be doing this again sometime when I need uh, some refreshers on some of these ways we can have these conversations. So thanks again, Monica. You bet. Thank you, Chris. All right, everybody. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with monica i told you she is just such an awesome amazing person and i love just re-listening to this episode and getting inspired by her all over again her and the braver angels team are doing such important work and like i said i'll say it again and i will say it just for all time to come that this is such an important book and i really 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 hope that you all head down to the description pre-order this book Follow the work that Monica's doing, that Braver Angels is doing, because, you know, this this isn't just something that's happening in the United States. It's happening all over the world. People are so polarized. And the reality is something that I've learned over and over and over again is that a lot of us agree on so many different things where where we have issues is that 
we we have different paths that we want to take to achieve the same goals because the reality is we want people to be taken care of we want people to be okay and like monica and i discussed in this conversation we have to do a little bit of perspective taking and realize that a lot of people who are angry upset that we think are our quote unquote enemies they're coming from a place of concern and that's why i think the work that they're doing, this book are so important. So head down to the description, follow Monica, follow Braver Angels, pre-order a copy of this book. I promise you it will be well worth it. And when it comes out, grab extra copies, give it to your mom, your dad, your uncles. Uh, you know, we just passed Thanksgiving here, but you know, next holiday season when people are gathered around, just hand these this book out like crazy. All right, because we all need this. We all need to have better conversations. And again, I appreciate Monica coming on. But yeah, before I let you go, make sure you're following me over on Instagram and Twitter at The Rewired Soul. If you're new to the podcast, make sure you're following it. Make sure you subscribe. Something that helps out a ton that doesn't cost you a penny is share this episode. If you think that Monica and Braver Angels are doing great work and this was an interesting conversation, please share it. It really helps out the podcast a lot. But some other ways that you can support the podcast, again, go become a paid subscriber over on Substack. It's only $5 a month or $50 for a year. You get access to all of these episodes early and it helps support the work I'm doing, my reading habit, and you know, keeping my lights on and a roof over me and my son's head. So I appreciate everybody who's subscribed so far. And there's also a link down below. It's an affiliate link for BetterHelp Online Therapy. And let me tell you this, therapy has helped me out so much. And I've personally used better help online therapy. It's helped me out so much having better conversations. It helps me, uh, you know, calm down, regulate my emotions so I can have these difficult conversations with people that I disagree with. I used to have wicked, uh, you know, just emotional regulation issues, anger management issues and all that stuff. And I like to think I'm pretty uh, chill now. And a lot of it is thanks to therapy. So if you would like to improve your mental health, if you think that you can benefit from working with a therapist, check out that affiliate link down below for BetterHelp Online Therapy. You work with a licensed therapist. It's affordable. You can do it from the comfort of your own home. And I can't sing their praises enough. But again, huge thanks to Monica. And I wish her the best of luck with this book because it's so important. I will be doing a rebroadcast of this episode closer to the launch date. But until then, follow Monica, pre-order this book. And for all of you, thanks for tuning in. Thanks for listening. Uh, I hope you all have an amazing rest of your day. I do have a bonus episode coming out this Sunday. So stay tuned. All right. I'll see you in the next one.